Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. So glad that you're here. I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, you are the really uh, intelligent crowd. I love everyone who came this weekend. Uh, but you came uh, when there was a little bit of room and an opportunity to connect with other people. I, I just want to see who's here uh, online as well. Uh, uh, how many of you grew up with the tradition of going to an Easter egg hunt? A number of you. There are a lot of people who didn't, uh, like me. I didn't grow up with that tradition. We were not a particularly religious family. Uh, and, but... The funny thing that happened is my mom, I come from sort of a secular background, a little bit of Jewish background, and my mom had heard about these Easter egg hunts, and so we went to St. John of the Woods Catholic Church in Tacoma because we heard the Catholics put food in their lawn. And so we went there, and we went on an Easter egg hunt, and I didn't know how these things worked. It was a traumatic experience for me. Uh, it really was, because these little Catholic kids were a little mean, I got to tell you that. Uh, they did not, they did not have any pity on me, a novice. I was out there, I probably got two or three items of candy, and uh, there were the kids who had practiced all year long for this. And uh, so, uh, fast forward, I become a, a follower of Jesus, uh, you know, church is a regular part of my life, I have two daughters, and when they're young... Uh, I wanted it to be different for them. And so I said, hey, girls, Easter is all about God's love for us, our love for God, and that you, sh you showing love to all these other little children. And I want that to begin after this Easter egg hunt. Uh, right now, it's game on, baby. It really is. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's sort of funny as we talk about traditions, and there's traditions around the world with Easter. Uh, we have that I know of over 60 countries represented uh, at Timberlake Church, people who are actively uh, involved in our church. Uh, but it's not all Easter eggs. In, in Finland, they have this tradition, a little different. Uh, you, yeah, dressing up like witches, which you think is interesting. Uh, but it goes back from what I uh, read in a couple articles, that, uh, that they would believe that witches from Finland uh, would fly to Germany and convert with Satan and then go back to Finland, which doesn't tell you anything about Easter, but it does tell you how Finnish and German people view each other. Uh, and then in Papua New Guinea, uh, very interesting, they don't use eggs or bunnies. They decorate their churches with tobacco and cigarettes. Some of you don't see a problem with that. Others of you say, I would go to that church. Uh, and then in, in Russia, uh, the centerpiece of the meal is a butter lamb. It's made 100% out of butter. And they think it signifies the beginning of spring. I think it signifies probably the beginning of a heart attack is what it does. Uh, so you have this and all these traditions. But there's one tradition that really goes back and it has spiritual significance. It's where the leader would come before there were church buildings or anything like that and would say, uh, he is risen. And then the, the congregation would say, he is risen indeed. Can we try that? Or are you going to leave me hanging like you usually do? So uh, why don't we try it? He is risen. He is risen 
That is really good. There must be visitors here because our people aren't that good. Uh, so uh, it really, really is good. And what it does is it points us to that central fact of the Christian faith. Now, uh, there are many passages you can look at. We're going to spend most of our time in one part of the Bible, John chapter 20 and 21. But I want to first go to uh, 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is writing to this group of believers. Uh, Paul was anti-Jesus, became pro-Jesus. And it's, when you look at what he wrote about, it's surprising. Because this was a, a group of messed up people. They were abusing alcohol, they were adultery, lying, cheating, they were watching The Bachelor. I mean, these people were doing all sorts of things that they probably shouldn't have been doing. But he doesn't, some of you are, no, there really was no Bachelor back then, thank the Lord. And uh, so what, what he says is that what is most important. Now, he addresses other issues in life because if you follow Jesus, there will be a lift to your life. It will affect in a positive way your relationships, your uh, career, your health, by living according to God's principles. But that's not what's most important. He says this, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He says the most important thing is this understanding of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And I don't know about you, is I often can get distracted a little bit. I can uh, focus on things that are important, but maybe not of first importance. Happens to all of us because there are so many things in life. Uh, what do we all want or most of us want? We want wealth. We want some at least financial security. We never feel like we have enough usually because we're comparing to someone else. Uh, how many of you used to enjoy your home before you went to an open house of a new home? Yeah, you know what it's like, the flag's waving you in just to breed discontent. And so we have that, but we never feel like we have enough. There's recognition. We want to be recognized for what we've done. We know what it's like, especially in a workplace, to not be recognized. There's romance. Uh, everyone, we make a lot of, you know, interesting decisions around romance. Uh, my wife and I have a little bit of a disagreement when it comes to television. So I like to watch shows that are more spiritually edifying like The Walking Dead. But she, she watches this channel that is really horrible. I think it leads many people astray. It's called the Hallmark Channel. And uh, the Hallmark Channel, I, I'm not, you know, I know it's good for some people. For me, if I die and wake up and the Hallmark Channel is on, I figure I probably went to hell. That's what I figured probably happened. Uh, but she loves the Hallmark Channel because of why? Romance. And I got to tell you, I'm a little bit offended because I'm like, why do you need the Hallmark Channel? You have me? And evidently, that's not enough. So there, uh, there's relationship as well. We all want relationships that are meaningful. I've had the opportunity to be around a lot of people, some who've had incredible success in their vocation and their finances. But I can tell you, and this is not just a saying, is if relationships are right, it can be really, really hollow. And then there's peace. We seek peace. Uh, I talk to folks, whether Christian or non-Christian, there's a sense where uh, there's not a lot of peace around in society right now. And it's even of a different nature. It's a discord that seems irreparable. And then there's purpose. Is Am I living a life that makes sense? Am I living a life where I feel like it's going to mean something at the very end? And this really has to do with spiritual pursuit. 
Uh, spiritual pursuit, if you're, uh, even if you come from a different religious background, uh, there's this idea in philosophy or theology called revelation, how we understand God, how God is revealed to us or how we under, uh, understand that. Now, religion is a path to pursue God. And you might think, hey, that's really uh, what, isn't that what Christianity is? Not quite. Uh, we find this uh, common, whether it's a karmic system of Hinduism or the five pillars of Islam, the eightfold path of Buddhism, Shintoism, it doesn't matter what the, the, the religion or worldview, is that we work hard enough and we get enlightened. Where Christianity has to do with God's pursuit of you. In fact, Christmas and Easter cannot be disconnected. That Jesus came into the world, it says God became flesh and dwelt among us because God is in pursuit. In the book of Hebrews in the Bible, it says we have a high priest, Jesus, who knows what we go through. And he wants to communicate to you and to me. In fact, the whole purpose of, of the Bible is, is, yes, there's a way to live and a, a path that I think makes sense. But John says this, he says, these are written, this, these scriptures, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And so the idea is that we would have a, a life that makes sense in every way. So the question for me is, what does that mean to, to be in that kind of relationship with God, to allow myself to be found by God? I think we have to look to the Bible and the post-resurrection accounts of the life of Jesus, John chapter 20 and 21, and we see that Jesus appears uh, to a number of people and that he, he pursues them after the, after the resurrection is that he goes and he finds them. They don't, they, they're not, it's not so much, they have to do the searching, although they were. But he reaches out to them. And I think in that we find these different stories that apply to our life in how God pursues me. And I think it's going to relate to many of us that, that we'll find ourselves in these stories. So how does God pursue me? He pursues me when I feel unwanted. And, and I think none of us like to admit that we would ever feel that way. And maybe it can be a little bit embarrassing. But if you've ever been in a situation where you're not sure if you're wanted, I talk to people even uh, in their families or marriage relationships and they're not sure they're even wanted. Bill Wilson, who uh, a great Christian leader, he tells the story when he was a kid, I think 11, 12, 13 years old. And he was in, I think, Orlando, Florida. His mom, uh, who had her own troubles, uh, they were at a park, and she said, wait here. And so he waited, and uh, she didn't come back. And it, two days had passed, and he didn't leave because he didn't realize what had happened. There was a couple, they were Christ followers, and uh, they saw him over the course of those days. And so then they, they knew something was wrong, and they, they asked about his story. And they realized that he had been abandoned by his mother and he didn't even really understand it yet. And so they, they said, hey, would you, would you want to come home with us? We would like you to be part of our family. And he said for the first time in his life, he felt like what it was to feel like to be wanted. And I think for many of us, many of the decisions, good and bad, we make, 
are around this. Mary Magdalene is someone in the Bible, the first person Jesus appears to, which is amazing in many ways. In all ancient cultures, the, uh, the women really didn't, were not equal, not even valued in, in many ways. And Mary Magdalene even more so. But Jesus appears to her first. Uh, not Peter, not John, not the other disciples. And, and he comes to her first, and I think there's a reason behind it. Mary Magdalene, uh, we know a little bit about her. Uh, we know she was a wealthy woman. Uh, that's from Scripture. Tradition, some traditions would say she was the unnamed prostitute named in the Bible. Uh, it was said she had seven demons. I don't know all that that means, but I know it is not a good thing. And, uh, but here's something that's most peculiar about her. Uh, in ancient cultures, and this would be true in the Hebrew Scriptures as well, that women were... Uh, always described in terms of the wife of, the mother of, the daughter of, the sister of, in relationship to someone else. But Mary Magdalene is described a number of times, and she's always described alone. And there's no sense that that was her desire. That way there's a sense is that's how life had left her alone. And so she meets Jesus, and Jesus cares for her and wants a relationship with her for all the right reasons, and it changes everything about her, how she views herself, how she views others. And so she, when Jesus went to the cross, she was heartbroken, and she went to the tomb, which she thought to care for his body, even though he said he would rise from the dead. And Jesus appears to her first. It says, Jesus uh, said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. See, I, I have my own thought behind this, is that Jesus went to her first because he wanted her to know that she was not an afterthought. And so he appears first to her to let her know that she is wanted and she is valued. And if you can understand that in your own heart, a lot of the things you struggle with, we struggle with, tend to fade when we understand that we are wanted. The Bible says this, John 10, 3. John says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And that's you and me. He also uh, pursues us when fear is overwhelming. You ever play the what if game? Of course you do. What if I don't have enough money for retirement? What if I lose my job? What if uh, my uh, marriage has problems? What if my health fails? What if my kids can't get into the college that I want them to get into? There's a joke there, but I'm going to pass. Uh, <laughs> because this is a recorded service. So anyway, uh, but there, there's the fear. It's interesting, we are surprised when adversity comes. And I think that's honestly why uh, our, in our culture, even though we have more resources in every way, intellectually, financially, health-wise, is that we're having a harder time overcoming adversity than in generations that were disadvantaged in every way compared to us. In older generations, they taught kids uh, from a very early age. I mean, if you even look at uh, the nursery rhymes. I mean, you think about it, we would never write these today, right? Rockabye baby, how does it go? Uh, Rockabye baby, on the treetop. How do you think CPS would feel about that? Uh, when the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Down will come baby. Down will come cradle, baby and all. Good night, sweetie. You know? 
I mean, you think about this. It was, I mean, so many, uh, you know, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. And you know what the great part of the story is? Nothing. That's where it ends. <laughs> Jack, be nimble. Jack, be quick. Jack, jump over a candlestick. Train your kid to be a little firewalker. I mean, there are all sorts of interesting things there, but it's the idea is that there would be adversity and that you can endure and persevere, and not only that, you can thrive. Jesus' followers, they were afraid they thought they were going to be next. And he finds them hiding in a room, and we read this, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear. Fear can make us make some really bad decisions. And Jesus says, you don't need to be afraid. You can move forward in faith. And really, uh, that leads to uh, number three, is to confirm my faith, uh, is that, that, that really Jesus, he revealed himself to confirm faith. And I know that maybe you feel like, hey, my faith is shaky, or, or I feel like so many people are opposing, even own family members, I'm not sure about my faith. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, uh, is very interesting uh, how he refers to himself. He refers to himself as uh, the disciple who Jesus loved which is really funny when you think about it. There's 12 disciples. He's like, there's 11 other guys, and then there's the disciple who Jesus loved, which is moi. And you know what? I think every one of them felt that way. It says, this is a disciple who testifies to these things, who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. He's saying, I was there, I saw it, and life makes sense. And then later on in 1 John, he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That there can be a confirmation in your faith. I, I was at the gym uh, yesterday. I know it doesn't look like I go to the gym, but I was at the gym, and uh, I was talking to someone who doesn't go to this church, and I was saying, hey, Easter, how's it going? He goes, yeah, be honest, my faith is a little shaky. I said, man, what's, because I, I, I've talked to this guy a number of times, I said, what's the matter? I said, you know, you used to serve at your church, or you serve at your church, how's that going? He goes, nah, I just stopped doing that. Well, how about the guys you were meeting with? Yeah, I stopped doing that. How, how, how about you, you used to, and it was, whether it was serving or giving or connecting, I went through all the things. He goes, yeah, I stopped doing that. And I said, can I be honest with you? I said, you're, you're wondering why your faith is fading, and all you do is lean further and further away as far as you can get. And then he left and went and worked on another machine. I don't know what happened. <laughs> no, he didn't. He actually said, you're absolutely right. Is Why would I expect a different result? So, so think of it this way. If you're saying, oh, faith-wise, I'm sort of shaky. If you leaned away from your marriage, do you think it would get better? Is there any chance? No. If you leaned away from your work, you think you're going to get promoted? No. If you leaned away from your health, or we would not apply that principle to any other area in the universe and expect a different outcome. And you don't need to do the work because Jesus did it. He's pursuing you. And all you got to do is at least stand there, but if you lean away, he'll let you. So I, I'm just saying this. You know, I've done this many years. And I'm thankful for what God is doing through our church and ministry and all the people and all the campuses. But my prayer more than anything is, is that you would lean into Jesus Christ. And uh, you say, how do I know? You'll know when you're not. 
When you're saying, okay, I'm going to lean, God, what do you have for me to learn? God, what do you have for me to do? I, I love uh, baptism because unlike giving or serving or, uh, or even going to church, it, it's something that it doesn't, you don't have to say anything, give anything, do anything. It's where you simply say, in, in, in the Bible, it says when you believe, you're baptized. Now, you might have been baptized as a kid. That's about your parents' faith. But when you come to your own faith, it says, I identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a simple step. And if we don't take the simple steps, we probably aren't going to take any. You don't even need to be part of this church. I encourage you. We're going to have a baptism coming up. Just be baptized. It's transformational because it's leaning in. And I, I, I always hear that. Well, Ben, if you know me, I'm not a very religious person. And yeah, I don't know if I can be baptized. I'm really sinful. You can be baptized. We just hold you under the water longer. That's all that happens. Uh, some of you are trying to figure out if that's true or not. But uh, here's the deal. Lean in. Even if I have serious doubt. Thomas, who, who is an interesting character, he's known by the moniker Doubting Thomas. Uh, and he was sort of a, a, a Debbie Downer of sorts. He always was looking at the negative. But you've got to understand, he saw Jesus go to the cross. Uh, there are other, actually, religions who, who believe and honor Jesus. But they would say, no, Jesus really didn't die on the cross. Thomas would disagree. Because the Romans, when they wanted you dead, they were really good at it. And he was not only crucified, they took a spear in his side to really make sure he was dead. And he said, there is no way he rose again from the dead. Well, he heard Jesus was appearing to Mary and other followers. He said, I'm not going to believe till I touch his hands, till I, till I feel his sight. And then Jesus, he appeared to Thomas, and then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Interestingly enough, that there, uh, Jesus is often recognized as the Savior of the world, where he's recognized as God in the flesh. Uh, several times, one of those was by Thomas. And Thomas went geographically further than anyone else to share the message of Jesus. See, it, it, we're doing this series, Skeptic, and we, we talked about, uh, based on your questions, uh, I hope start it next week. You can even write those in the connection cards and turn them in or turn them in online. Because I believe that we need to deal with our real doubts. Now, there's intellectually honest doubts. The ones where I'm going to seek an answer. And the ones where, yeah, I'll take forth-hand information, but not really lean in. And that's what Thomas did. He leaned in. We, we see how it changed people. It says, uh, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, two of Jesus' followers, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. By the way, this is not a compliment. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That there was some about them, their life had changed. And why? With Peter, we know what it was. It was number five, is that he understood that God pursued him when he needed a fresh start. When he needed a do-over. We all need that in life, right? He had denied Jesus three times. Jesus appears to him after he appeared to some other people. And three times he says, do you love me? And what he's doing is he's restoring him for each of the denials. He's saying, I'm bringing you back. And we read this. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
So he's at that point where he's really doing heart work with God. And Jesus doesn't just say, I accept you, I tolerate you, or even I forgive you. He did that. He restores the mission. He says, Jesus said, feed my sheep. He says, I still have a plan for you. I haven't changed my mind about you. You might think that the power of your struggle or sin is great enough, great enough to change God's mind about you. It's not. The most famous story in the Bible, prodigal son, the son that goes away from the father, father representing God, and he does everything wrong. And you know what it says? God is waiting there, and he's waiting not to judge. He was waiting for his son to go home come home, and he threw a party because when a daughter or a son comes home, God's heart is that he celebrates. We understand God's heart. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, it says, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. How does that happen? It didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by a philosophy or idea. It happened through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That everything Jesus said was confirmed, our sins were forgiven, and new life was offered. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.